Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. So thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Larry and I live in, in um, Miami. We just wanted to go somewhere awful so we could be true Christians. So we chose Miami. And uh, her family are there, actually. And she's been away from her family for about 30 years. And so we thought it would be nice. Her mum's a little bit older. It'd be nice for mum to see her beautiful daughter and her odd son-in-law for a season. And um, so we've moved there. And we moved. Uh, we were in London for 10 years. And we were the European overseers. And um, that was just one of, the great, I mean, one of the great joys of our life, to tell you the truth. The European pastors are absolutely fabulous. Sometimes getting pastors together is like herding cats. And, um, but the Europeans are absolutely marvellous. And we saw a wonderful growth, uh, tremendous leaders. And one of the most wonderful things is these new churches happening in Germany. Because um, I think I can speak like this openly. That for a long time, Germany has had a, um, a hesitancy about strong leadership because of some little event that happened about 70 years ago. And they were very hesitant to do strong leadership. Well, the young generation now, who, they, they don't, that's not in their consciousness anymore. And so they're leading strongly and wisely and being overseen. And uh, so we moved. Uh, we were asked to come and take over uh, C3 Americas, which to honest, I'm 67. I was thinking, like, well, maybe, you know, I'm ready just to wind down a bit. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, so we wound up and we had a wonderful time, didn't we, in Dallas? So a big thank you to, to Brandon and to Meredith, who's already gone. Oh, there she is. I thought she, she gets offended by me so swiftly. <laughs> She's already gone. And happy birthday, young lady. Happy birthday yesterday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 24. Awesome. Come on, just hold on to that. And uh, a big thank you to Paul and Judy for driving us down from Dallas today. Thank you. And thank you for all that you've done uh, in many, many spheres. Um, Paul... As we drove, he baptized me into the recognition of the essential superiority of Fort Worth over Dallas. He did, he did, he did, he did. So, so, so in fact, he was quite dismissive of Dallas. He said, oh, it's new money. It's new money. It's new money, which has got a lot of connotations attached to it. So we're glad to be in the center of the Texan universe, Fort Worth. I've never been to Fort Worth. I always thought it was this little thing off the side of the airport. But, but apparently you, you are your own city. <laughs> so excuse, excuse my ignorance. I, have to, I say that everywhere I go. Excuse my ignorance. Because <laughs> I can get away with blue murder. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I have a tendency to laugh at myself. <laughs> I'm not sure if I think I'm very funny. I just think it's whatever. Now, I have a Bible there. I'm not going to use it because I'm gonna, I've written my scriptures out. So I just want you to know that this is my book. This is my book. And um, I've printed them out so we can get there easier. Hey, by the way, um, what a wonderful season or moment there of worship. That is it. You are a very good worship team. Wow. That's very good. Honestly. Honestly, I, you know, I've been, I've been all over, or I'm all over the place, as they say. Um, and to, to hear that kind of impassioned, I am not a good worshipper. You know, we're all meant to be. I am not a good worshipper. I'm a distracted worshipper. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say, thinking about a joke, whether it's appropriate or not. 
Um, I, I just find it very hard. And I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm a melancholic personality, so I can get with the presence of God by myself easy. But in a crowd, I, I find it quite hard, to tell you the truth, and I have for 40 years. But I found this so easy. There's just such a, you know, I'm not trying to blow smoke, although I am, aren't I? Um, it's just such a wonderful spirit in your worship. You know, that says, you know what that says to me? Health. God is in the house. God is in the house. We are so conditioned that numbers determine health. They don't. The spirit of God determines the health of a place. And whether you're 100 or 10,000, unless the Holy Spirit is present and touching people and wooing people and, speak and convicting us, then we're just a big crowd that makes a noise on Sunday. So I'm... Anyway, so we, we at the uh, conference, we, um, we, we, the first night, I was quite deliberate about it. I wanted us to worship, to pray, and to take communion together. Because I, I want to start this conference off with Jesus as the center. Now, I, I know that we, we always pray that for all conferences. I'm not mocking what's gone on in the past. But I just wanted to focus us for one hour. And then after that, we went out and we in- invited the senior pastors um, and the location pastors, we had a cocktail hour, which is uh, Valerie invented this in U- Europe. But they're up for this. And so we do. We have a cocktail hour, and they all gather, and, and they're all quite wise in what they consume. And so we had this sense of fellowship with the Lord and fellowship with each other to start the conference. No name speaker. No great speaker. Oh, I loved it. And in fact, at the end of the communion, a lot of people are going, oh, man, that's been an hour already. How long is this meeting going to go? We closed it. Oh. So the Lord's Supper. So um, Brandon said to me, would you mind taking us through the Lord's Supper? And uh, I'm delighted to do that. Let me give you some background on the Lord's Supper. Just um, some, some primers. Then we'll look at a scripture. Then we'll draw some thoughts out of that scripture, some theology and thoughts. And then we'll close on the 1 Corinthians scripture. And then we'll receive communion together. Um, the Lord's Supper, that's what, that's what Paul called it. It's also known as... The meal. Some of you may have from a background where it's called the Eucharist or the Mass uh, or communion or whatever the case is. Um, It's recorded almost not quite the same, but basically the same across the three synoptic Gospels. John doesn't seem to mention it. Uh, Many theologians believe he actually does. It's just embedded in the text. It's not obvious. And I think they tend to be correct. The the Lord's Supper um, was fulfilled... Uh, it, sorry, the Lord's Supper fulfilled, that is, it summed up the Old Testament Passover meal, and it's made it obsolete. The Passover meal is obsolete to God's people because Christ fulfilled the intention, the prophetic intention of the Passover meal. Um, it was, it's, and here's the thing that probably most of us don't realize, and I'm only realizing this and digging into it more. The Lord's Supper was the defining meeting of the early church. The defining meeting. So what defined God's people in the early church? They gathered, they did the Lord's Supper, and I know that we have to adjust how we do this, and they did it around a meal table. Because in the Lord's Supper, particularly in the Gospels, he started off with the bread, with a cup, with the bread, and then he finished with another cup at the end of the meal. So they had embedded the Lord's Supper into a sense of celebration and community together. And I'm pleased... Don't throw bricks at your pastor after this, but we've got to find a way to, to include that somehow in our life as Christians. 
There's something just a, a little bit more intimate, a bit more demanding of relationships. The idea of just going to church on Sunday and praying a few perfunctory prayers during the week does not work when pressure comes on us. And so the Lord's Supper was the defining meal. So if you got anywhere amongst a bunch of Christians, they would be doing this oddest thing. They'd been drinking wine and saying, this is the blood of Christ. They'd be eating a loaf of bread, and they'd saying, this is the body of Christ broken for you. They'd do it every... And Jesus, as often as you do this... So listen, here's a shocking thought. If regularity speaks to importance, the Catholic Church, make, church makes us look sick. A devout Catholic does the, the, the Mass every day. Now, I'm not suggesting we do what they do, and I'm not beating them up either. I'm just making a point. We in our world, and maybe not here, of course, but generally speaking in the Protestant and Pentecostal world, we do it maybe once a month and it's rushed through, or we do it once a year to try to make it a little bit more meaningful. But there's power in reception of the emblems of Jesus' death that far transcends a lot of our consciousness and our understanding. There's, there is healing in it. There's restoration in it. There's something way beyond what we have said. We've let all of that fall into the domain of preaching. But it wasn't. It was the domain of the meal. So, And also it does this. And, and, I, and I, again, I'm one of these people. So if, if you think I'm criticizing, I'm taking pot shots at myself. That's why I'm full of holes. Um, here's one. There's a couple more. We'll just stop there, I think. <laughs> it's going to get odd from then on. <laughs> but what, this is what the Lord's Supper does. What we have done, a lot of our messages are about encouraging. Should we encourage God's people? Oh, yes. But if encouragement is our diet, that's like eating McDonald's all day. Or dare I say it? Treading on holy ground, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Be like eating that all day long. I'm, you know, it's not a great comparison. You get my point. Um, encouraging messages are important. But if all we do is encourage people a better life, we're missing probably three quarters of the gospel. Why is the Lord's Supper important? Because it reminds us of the profound sacrifice of Christ because of the depth of the power of sin on our lives. And... It's not as though we're always thinking, oh, woe is me, I'm sinful. That's not it. If, unless you realize the power of sin, you'll never realize the power of righteousness. So we have swept sin under the carpet. We've psychologized it. We've made it sort of something that's uh, kind of like a social function. So that if you can change the social dynamics of a country, you'll change how people think. That was Rousseau's great thought, the French philosopher. And that turned out really well for them, didn't it? Something like 30,000 people lost their heads because of his delightful little philosophy. It doesn't work. There's something embedded in mankind. It's, it's called sin. And the Lord's Supper reminds us what it cost. And it reminds us of the benefits also of the cross. It's not just the cost, it's the benefit. So we lose our way when we forget why and how and by whom. In other words, the Lord's Supper is paramount to our identity. And so is baptism. Isn't it weird? They both talk about sin. Baptism is a once-off dying to Christ, dying to sin, dying to Christ. There's an awesome new form of baptism. <laughs> Somewhat heretical. 
dying to sin and being raised to new life. We do it once. It's, it's symbolic, but it's got power. The Lord's Supper, we do it regularly because it reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ, of the power of sin and the might of the resurrection. That's where our power in our life is. Not in a better life. A better home is not going to make you better. A new car. Every time you buy a new car, it's not new. Within 10, six, 10 seconds of driving it off the lot. And so many people shop thinking that, oh, 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 this is going to fulfill me. Uh-uh. Never does. It's just like one more thing. Golly, when Valerie and I moved from London, we just got rid of so much. It was almost embarrassing. We were like paupers when we arrived in Miami. We've been having a spendathon. Because you do need sheets and underpants and pillows. <laughs> Let me read Luke 22, verse 7 to 23. I'm reading from the ESV, which is the uh, essential Simon version. Um, then, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where, where, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water, that's unusual, by the way, that was the sign, that didn't happen, um, will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and to divide amongst yourselves. I mean, we're not going to do that today, health and safety. But I'd love to get back to that. Maybe we just get the little cloth, you know, just wipe it, and then sort of span it, sanitize it. No. He took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this, divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Or as some versions say, This, my body, is given for you. It's an interesting little missing is there. And likewise, the cup after it eaten, the cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him. Now, I've kept this in, because this is interesting. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another, which of them would it, could it be who was going to do this? I've left that in for a reason. I'll get to it soon. Just some quick thoughts. The Lord's Supper was a supper. It was a meal. It's important. It wasn't a ritual. It had ritualistic tones, but it was a meal. They actually, they, 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 they sat around they, they actually reclined close to the ground and had this meal. And also it was embedded in a meal. I've already said that. It wasn't something done by itself because it has social and biblical context. Not just biblical context, it's got social context. Next thought. Passover was annually celebrated remembrance of the Jewish exodus held around the family table every year. And to this day. So Valerie and I live, uh, we live um, in a place called Bay Harbor, Bay Harbor Islands on the um, beach side of Miami. 
Actually, most of Miami's on the beach side. The rest is just swamp and fierce creatures and alligators as well. Um, <laughs> so uh, where we live, we are in the middle of very, very in a, a large Orthodox Jewish community. And you see them at the shops on Friday night scurrying to get their food because they have the Sabbath on Saturday. And, and whenever they do this once a year, that they do it around the table with the father leading it. They keep on doing it. The, the, the Passover is celebrated to this day by Orthodox Jewish people. And it's got a lot in it that's uh, remarkable and wonderful. However, but the thing is, at this particular supper, there was no lamb. There was no lamb at the supper. People said, why was there no lamb? Because the lamb that was slayed from the foundation of the earth was there with them. Jesus was the lamb signified by the bread that was broken. So they never, had, they never ate the lamb. It's always been one of the great conundrums because he both fulfilled and changed and radicalized the future of that Passover. Um, anyway, so, and also, here's the wonderful thing, that the, 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 the Passover meal remembered and signified the exodus out of Egypt, where the uh, Jewish people were released from the bondage of Pharaoh and all of the powers of, of, uh, of Egypt. And that was both spiritual powers and natural powers. And Jesus, when he was doing this, he knew that he was creating the new exodus, which would have been shocking to his disciples. He already shocked them enough, saying, this is my body, because that must have gone so close to sort of a, an odd form of um, cannibalism in their brain. That's where people walked away from him. And he said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. Uh, they walked away because they didn't get what he was saying, but it was just too strong for them. So when Jesus did this, he's the new exodus is out from the, uh, the tyranny of the principalities and powers, something much more oppressive than Pharaoh, out from the power of sin and death. He's going to take them out and bring them into a new inheritance, a heavenly one, far above the influence and grip of this world. And that's why he said, fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now we are to remember him and proclaim him. So Paul talks about, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. Now, the Reformed theologians will tell you that means preaching. The Baptists will tell you the same. That means preaching. I, 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 I disagree, not because I'm better than them, somewhat less than them, most of them. Maybe all of them. It, it's the act of taking communion that's the proclamation. It's not just the preaching about it. It's the taking of it that's a proclamation of the heavenly feast that we will all celebrate in one day. Isn't it the weirdest thing that the culmination of God's program on the earth will end in just a great big party. How cool is that? Yeah. Not like sort of, we're not going to be, you know, considering his ineffableness with harps on clouds. That just sends shivers through me because I can't play anything. So what use am I? And I can't sing. I sound like a strangled rat. It's so, it's, but the culmination will be a meal. What are the most precious times in most people's lives? The meal table. Or what's the most hellish in most people's lives? The meal table. Christmas is either good for you or awful for you. Doesn't seem to be much neutral ground. Around the table, all the old family agonies come out. Or around the table, the celebration of being a family comes out. That's where we're going to end. We are to proclaim him. Um, and also, we should expect the presence of Jesus when we do this. Now, this is a big topic I'm not going to try to tackle. 
The Catholic Church believes that the bread and the, and the wine are trans, transubstantiated into the actual blood of Jesus and the actual body. They've, they've got a magnificent philosophical way of describing it. Any of you are interested in Aristotelian philosophy and Aquinas, you, you'll see that they have a rationale for it. They're not stupid. I'm just not quite committed to that because it's Jesus is the once-for-all sacrifice. This is a remembrance of it. But don't think it's just a rem remembrance. That's where we miss the point. In the taking of the Lord's Supper is the real presence of Jesus in a way that I cannot describe to you. It's by the Holy Spirit, but it's real, it's transformative, and it's profound. And yet, and yet how remarkable. You know, the, actually, just to go back a little bit, I've got a few moments. The, the, the Corinthians mis, misunderstood the meal table. So their church was filled, uh, was, had many wealthy people, well, it had some wealthy people and lots and lots of slaves. And they were still slaves. And they were still wealthy people. They all met, they all came under the sound of the gospel and believed in Jesus. The rich people would meet early. They would, they would glutton on the food and get drunk on the wine. The poor people would come. There'd be nothing left for them. Now, that was because the rich people had the homes to do this. The poor people maybe worked all day. They finally made it. And there was nothing there. And Paul said, Paul absolutely smashed them for that. He said, you have not discerned the Lord's body, which is the church. And you have made these people who are God's precious saints out to be lesser social beings than yourself with your money and influence. And we've got to watch that because money speaks too loudly in church. We need it. I've got no issue with it. I've got no issue whatsoever. I've got Jewish background. I get it. I get it. I get it. So, but, but what they were doing is they were, they were not seeing the common value of each other. And because of that, Paul said, because of that, not just because they were trying to wrestle with sin in their own private world, that's where we normally take it. It wasn't that. Is that they were doing wrong things around each other. And Paul said, because of it, many are sick and dying. They didn't know or they didn't appreciate the leveling influence of the power of the gospel, where there is no male or female, no Jew or Gentile, no rich or poor, no slave. Or, or, that, that, the power of the gospel is not political. It's not national. It's not by the arm of the flesh. The power of the gospel is all of those categories that are obliterated and we become one people. That's, that's hard to live. I live in a reasonably wealthy part of the world. It's hard for me to sometimes get that into my brain, that there are some poorer Christians who are as precious to God as my own silly self. And that's, so they messed the whole thing up. And Paul said, you're dying and sick because you're treating these people badly. Well, it's not talking about ch charity of the world. It's talking about love in the church. Wow, I just find that staggering. And then in the middle of this stunning moment, of prophetic fulfillment, of rejigging what the Passover was, of Jesus pouring out his heart to these people. In the middle of this precious and remarkable moment, there's a demon in the room. You know, you know I thought of this? I thought it's, it's a chilling picture of the betrayal of sin in the face of the stunning fulfillment of the entire Old Testament canon and God coming once and for all to forgive sin. In the middle of that remarkable moment, a betrayer. You know what that says to me? Human nature ain't neutral. It's not pretty. And then to add 
insult to injury after these verses, the disciples are wrangling about who is the greatest among them. I just find that stunning. They go out of the Lord's Supper where history's been changed, where Christ has proclaimed his own soon coming brutal death, and they're walking out, it's like Brandon and I walking out and saying, well, you know, I, I, I reckon that, that healing that I did was a whole lot better than your pity little thing. And, 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 and like they were arguing about who was the greatest. Again, it says to me, the power and the politics of humanity are insensible to the presence of the Passover lamb, Jesus. The powers of this world have no idea about the power of Christ because it's a, it's a power of sacrifice and love, not a domination and power. Wow. Little wonder God had to come on the flesh. Little wonder that Christ had to die for our sins because we are incapable of self-redemption. My friends, the only harsh thing I'll ever say is this. Do not believe anybody that tells you that you can find your way to God by yourself. They are utterly deceived. They don't understand the human condition and they're profoundly dangerous. I just hope that's not your mother or your father. <laughs> Is this all right? I'm actually, um, I'm in the middle of a master's degree and, and uh, my dissertation is going to be, the reason I'm sort of hot on this at the moment, my dissertation, which has been approved, is going to be, um, does the view of the Lord's Supper define how we see church? And of course, my answer's in the question. You bet it does. I, I, I wish I could just give them that as the, as the paper. <laughs> down from 18,000 words down to 10 profound words. So do not, re do not know who I am amongst you. It'd be nice, wouldn't it? We could stop buying books. Oh, I'm a book freak. Is anybody else a book freak in this room? Brandon, are you a book freak? Oh, how, how big's your bookcase? Bet's not big as my bookcase. <laughs> no, I don't at the moment. Oh, 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 ah, oh, 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 Valerie just, she slayed me. Because our, my books are all in cardboard boxes while, while we get the house done like she wants it to be done. Oh, it's <laughs> the great thing about having a microphone. There's very little comeback. You know, you know what you should do in your house, guys? Get a microphone everywhere. Just walk around with the microphones somehow connected to a system. So you'll always be the loudest voice. <laughs> ah, that won't go well. All right. So, 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. And by the way, I can imagine at the Lord's Supper, there were moments of laughter. I cannot see the disciples and Jesus as the sort of somber, orthodox Christians have got no celebratory nature. I can't see it. I, I, there's, there's something, laughter is one of the most profound signs of love and health. And when you've, when um, I had a heart attack when I was. 40 years old, a number of years ago. It was, a, it was a good one, if there's any such thing as a good heart attack. And it had nothing to do with diet. It was just, it was hereditary. It was going to happen. Hallelujah. I said to my doctor, what was it? Why? He said, ah, oh, hereditary and bad luck. Oh, that was a good answer. A whole lot better than the Christian's philosophical answers. Oh, the Lord trying to teach you something. Oh, it's a brutal way to be taught. <laughs> um, but I remember I was, in a, I was in a public hospital ward. There were four other men. And one of them was a Christian. And he was the funniest man I have ever heard. And we came out of recovery, all, all of us, about the same time. And because you're in hospital for maybe five or six days while you just kind of 
get your nerve back to walk. And this guy, we, we, we laughed our way back into recovery. He was incredibly funny. But the problem is he was so funny. There was one guy in the, in the, in the, the war that was not at all um, impressed. And one day he just let rip this. I cannot repeat the sentence. The walls, uh, the paints fell off the walls. The light bulbs popped. The nurses' uniforms were dulled. It, he just, he just, let, he was so angry because he was, because he was so unhappy. But this, this other guy, we just laughed our way back to health. It's one of the best things that happened to me after that, is to be in a room of men where we laughed and laughed and laughed. It was wonderful. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, broken. Probably was unleavened bread. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is just revolutionary thought to these young Jewish men. Do this as often as you drink it. Wow, that says regularity, because people drink wine regularly. Ever seen that before? Do this as often as you drink it. The Lord's Supper is meant to be regular because they drank wine regularly. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you drink this cup. Oh, I feel sorry for you for what you're going to get. Drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.